0: Welcome back to Just One Question, and I am honored and thrilled to have our next guest on. It is Wendy Murphy, and she is the adjunct professor of sexual violence law and the director of the Women's and Children's Advocacy Project at New England Law of Boston. And she was a visiting scholar at Harvard Law School 2002-2003. She is an impact litigator, which sounds like you get to punch the uh, the bad guys at the end of the, is that the sentence? Uh, impact litigator. I'd be fascinated to know more about what that is. It's probably not, actually not punching the bad guys. But anyway, specializing in women's equality. And, and I'm particularly interested to ask her about uh, her book that's coming out in April. But first, uh, Wendy, how are you doing?
1: I'm well, Nick. I'm so excited to be here and answer only one question.
0: That's that's good. And if there are two, I know you'll forgive me.
1: Oh yeah, I'll indulge you.
0: <laughs> you're a you're, you're a generous soul, and and here you are. So the book coming out in April has the incredibly intriguing title of "Oh No, He Didn't: Brilliant Women and the Men Who Took Credit for Their Work." So I assume. This is a subject about which you're passionate and currently excited because the book is coming out in April. So tell us about that. What is going on here? Who are these men taking credit and who are these brilliant women?
1: Well, you know, to start with, I think the topic is so self-explanatory. People won't be perplexed by what's inside. Mm -hmm. Um, And what it is, is a compilation of stories that most people have heard at least some of. Um, some of them are are fairly obscure stories, but all of them have been out there. I didn't actually find any untold stories, but you know, the the goal here was to compile stories of women who invented, discovered, or created something for which a man took credit, and to make this a cross-disciplinary book in the sense that, you know, in science, women scientists know stories about women scientists that this happened to. And Mm -hmm. in architecture, women architects know stories about women architects that this happened to. Um, But I really wanted to bring all the different areas of of, uh, inventions and discoveries and, and creative women, bring them all together, because I wanted to show the commonality of their experiences. So I could also make a point about the underlying common cause of the problem. And that is, and it's really an important aspect of my work and always has been, that women are not yet equal under the law. And this is true across the world. It's not unique to the United States. The United Nations in 2020 released a report saying, no country has achieved gender equality. So one of the purposes of my book is to showcase the fact that men and men take credit for women's work as a direct product of women's inequality and i make the simple point that how could women's inequality not be the primary cause of the problem if you aren't yet equal under the law you're easier to steal from because you have a worse chance of winning if you fight back it really is that simple and so the stories are you know i try i try really hard to give some flavor to the women's experiences, put a little bit in, in, in terms of context, because they run the gamut in, t- in time from the 1600s all the way through the present. And I think most people will be surprised by that. They probably would assume that I only have really old stories in here because things have gotten so much better for women. And that's not entirely tr- false. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact that there is a common experience for all these women across disciplines and across a long time span, for me, is the most compelling aspect of the book because it does make you wonder. I hope the book makes people wonder why. Mm -hmm. Why is this happening? What should we do about it? Are there other stories that need to be told and how do we find them? And I found that very challenging. I wanted to find untold stories, but how do you do that? How do you find the untold? It's such a challenging question. I learned a lot about how challenging it is when I went looking, but I want my book to inspire people to wonder and to ask and to use these women's experiences to be more um, curious about what else is out there that we haven't told yet.
0: Yeah, fascinating. And I can't resist, as I warned you before we started taping. That there might be a follow-up question, and and so I'd love to ask you about uh, a shocker for me th- that I learned as I got to know you and your work. Um, the The original discoverer, uh, essentially, of global warming, is not the man who's been given all the credit and whom all the buildings and programs and 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 things have been named after, but a woman. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit of that story? Because it it it's very typical of these, of these stories. And yet again, um, while it may not be untold in the world of science, it wasn't, it wasn't known to me. It's not known to the general person very widely, I suspect.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting how siloed these stories are and Mm. um, how frustrating it can be to break out of that and to, and to get the point of the story to be bigger than just this one problem in the context of global warming. Um, So, And this is one of my favorite stories in the book. Her name is Eunice Foot. Eunice grew up in the 1800s in upstate New York in a large farming family. Mm -hmm. And her parents felt strongly that women and girls deserved an education as much as men and boys. So they sent her to a um, school called the Troy Female Seminary, which at the time was one of the only schools in the country that offered an education to women that was equal to that men. So Eunice was able to study math and science, and women in other colleges weren't learning math and science at mm-hmm. all. They were learning about how to run a home or, you know, how to speak French. So Eunice loved science. She wanted to be a scientist, and because women weren't welcome in the profession, she just set up a lab in her home and started doing experiments as an amateur. And and one day in 1856, she literally designed a study on, on her own um, about the effects of the sun's heat on different gases in the atmosphere. She wanted to see if the sun's heat had a different effect on different gases. And what she discovered was that the sun's heat had a different effect on carbon dioxide, that carbon dioxide trapped the sun's heat more and took longer to dissipate after the sun's heat was removed. And she wrote up her findings and wanted to present them at a scientific conference, but women weren't welcome. Um, Nonetheless, uh, a man presented her paper for her, and in 1856, her paper was published in a prestigious scientific journal called the American Journal for Science and Arts. Mm -hmm. It was actually the first time a woman's paper on physics was published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal, so it was a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, three years later, in 1859, a man named John Tyndall, who had published... A paper on eye color in the very same journal where Eunice's paper had appeared. He decided to set up his own study to look at the effect of the sun's heat on different gases, and he came up with similar findings to Eunice's, and he wrote up his own paper, only he didn't mention Eunice's work at all. Uh He didn't even cite her paper or mention her name. He declared himself the first person ever to discover the effect of the sun's heat on carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. and that helped him to gain global fame at one point he became known as the father of climate change people still think of him that way today Mm -hmm. and as you mentioned satellites and institutes have been named in his honor i mean he really gained a lot of fame out of that claim that he was the first and he just erased eunice completely nobody honored eunice and that changed, believe it or not, only in 2010 huh. when a retired geologist was flipping through um, an old science digest on research from that time. And he read an article about Eunice's paper and he wrote his own piece about it and distributed to the distributed it to the scientific community. And everyone was shocked, but they were also really excited and scientists started to get the word out. Um, and tell the truth about who actually discovered this um, effect, which, by the way, I should have clarified, you know, when, when, when we're talking about carbon dioxide trapping the sun's heat, we're talking about something called the greenhouse effect, yes. which we all know is related to climate change, etc. Um, but again, Eunice discovered that in 1856. Tyndall discovered it three years later, and he got all the credit because he didn't cite Eunice. It's clear to me he knew about her paper because he published his own piece in the same journal, and none, nonetheless, no one no one respected Eunice until this retired geologist read about it in 2010. The word started to come out. It's still coming out. I mean, even the game show Jeopardy, blissfully in 2023, had a question about climate change. And it identified Eunice as the person who discovered the greenhouse effect. So the word is getting out, but it's slow. Tyndall still gets a lot of credit. He is still revered as the father of climate change. And if you study any kind of climate science in college or grad school, you're still going to study Tyndall. You're not really going to get anything about Eunice. Mm. It's a problem that persists because it's baked into our history, and nonetheless, you know, we found out the truth. It took a long time to find out the truth. And one of the points I make in my book about Eunice is that if she had had status as an equal person under the law back in 1856, Tyndall could never have gotten away with taking credit for her work. It would never have been tolerated. But but women were, they barely existed back then. And Eunice was married and married women had no legal existence because of a doctrine called coverture which said that a woman's legal existence is subsumed within that of her husband throughout the marriage. So she was utterly invisible as a human being. And I suspect Tyndall knew that. He knew he could get away with it. She couldn't fight back. She didn't exist as a matter of law. Now things have gotten a little bit better for women since then, um, but not a lot because even though women are now persons under the law, they exist, including married women. Women are not equal under the Constitution in this country, and as I mentioned, um, they're really not equal in any country uh, on earth, But but to be unequal under the Constitution in the United States of America, I think is shocking to people, and most people aren't aware that women are not equal under the law, because we don't talk about it, we don't teach it in school, and you know we we promote the alter the the opposite idea that everyone is equal equal justice for all mm-hmm. and e- even the united states supreme court building in washington dc has words carved in stone on the exterior that say equal justice under law but that very court has repeatedly ruled that those words do not apply to women mm-hmm. and that's still true in 2023 We tried to fix the Constitution. We tried to establish women's equality by passing the Equal Rights Amendment, but it was never successfully ratified and added to the Constitution. So, you know, it's it's a problem of invisibility. We really need to get the word out so that people know this is a thing worth fighting for, that we should unite and come together and rise up in the common cause of establishing basic equal rights under the law for everyone, not just some people, but everyone. It's
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's just unconscionable to run a democracy where half the population are overtly established by our foundational document as second-class citizens with second-class rights. And women's status as second-class citizens is why they not only have their inventions and discoveries and so forth stolen by men. Mm. But it's why women end up raped and beaten and killed at very high rates because they're not entitled to equal treatment under laws that are supposed to stop rape and abuse and murder. Mm. If you're not an equal person, the laws don't apply equally to you. You're going to suffer unequal treatment under every law from getting a dog license to freedom of speech, and even laws against slavery, they're not required as a constitutional matter to be enforced equally when applied to women. People don't know this. They see women suffering, but they don't know that this is the primary cause. Their inequality is the driving force. We need to fix the constitution. Nothing we fix, no laws we pass, no policies, no regulations can ever make a difference until we fix that foundational document because Uh every law we pass will be subject to unequal enforcement. We have to fix the underlying problem. It's like pushing crumbs around on a broken plate if you just fix laws without fixing the constitution, they just fall through the cracks. We have to fix the plate first. Uh And it's it's not that it's not complicated. The problem is people don't know. And people will not rise up about things they don't know about. When I tell people that women aren't equal, sometimes they, they, they just shake their head. What are you talking about? What rights do men have that women do not have?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I and I always say the same thing back. That's the wrong question. The right question is, are any laws equally enforced on behalf of women? Are they required to be equally enforced when applied to women? The answer to that question is no, none, zero. They might be, they might not be. They might be enforced equally, but maybe they won't be. Women have lived in this state of legal insecurity ever since the founding of this country. And I call it a kind of constitutional terrorism. Because of the anxiety and fear women experience when they know that their government, all officials in all branches at all times, their government has the right to treat them differently and worse simply because they're female. Mm. Now, I write a book about how one of the consequences of that is men getting away with stealing women's work. But boy, you know, the real suffering runs the gamut from things like that, which are somewhat hard to see and all the way to the other end of the spectrum which is you know women being sex trafficked and they can't adequately be protected from the laws because they're not entitled to equal protection of those laws so i think you know i I could write about the moral imperative which is women are dying at very high rates because of their inequality but sometimes it's easier to capture people's imagination when you write about things like men taking credit for women's work because it's not as gruesome, mm-hmm. it is relevant, and I think it's accessible. People are interested, these are real women's stories. And it feels terribly unfair and outrageous to us that a woman could be the person who discovered climate change and just totally be ignored. <laughs> Your a research paper, just be, being ignored is so mm-hmm. antithetical to what we know about fair play and how science works and, you right. know, It's just, it's so unconscionable that the book that I wrote is designed to really capture people's imagination by making them care about these women, but also then, you know, think bigger about what the real problem is.
0: Wendy Murphy, as you can see, she is passionate on the subject. And as you've learned, the stories are astonishing and surprising and unknown to many of us. So it's time we paid attention when the book comes out in April. Everybody should run out and buy it, uh, put in your pre-orders now because you can. Um, and uh, uh, Wendy, thank you very much for being on Just One Question and answering two. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate very much uh, the uh, fight you're fighting uh, to try to bring equal protection under the law into being, uh, because it's shocking to discover that we don't have that now. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.